Honestly, I am really excited about this morning. I'm really excited, not just because we get to study the Bible together and the Bible changes changed my life, and I love the Bible, but because we're going to look at one of the most gripping, one of the most relevant chapters in the Bible beginning today and throughout this series. By the way, my name is Rob Boo. I'm the senior pastor here, and I want to welcome all of you, especially any of you that might be visiting with us. We've been having a lot of visitors lately, and we are so glad you are here. I will be down in front right over here this morning if you're visiting I would love to say hello to you. We have just finished a series called Explore God, where we looked at how we can overcome intellectual barriers that keep us from God. Now today, we begin a new series entitled By Faith. I want you to think of it as step two of sorts. Because we're going to be looking at how we can live lives of power and hope and fearlessness because we believe in God. Now, unlike our Explore God series, we're rooting this entire By Faith series in one chapter in the Bible. It's found near the end of the New Testament in the book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews chapter 11 contains one story after another of very ordinary men and women who overcame their doubts, their barriers with God, their insecurities, and identified with God by faith, and then watched God craft them into spiritual giants. I believe God has given you Hebrews chapter 11 so that wherever you are, whatever you are doing, you can experience God's power and you you can become great as God counts greatness. I have a high expectation for this series because I have a high expectation of the power of God's word to change lives. So let's jump in and would you stand with me as I read beginning in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence and assurance here are really synonyms, two different ways of saying the same thing. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what, is, what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For all who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
you may be seated. This chapter rocks. I mean, it is just amazing. This New Testament book is called Hebrews because it was written to first century Jews who had come to Christ. But because of their commitment to Christ, man, they were being hammered, they were being beaten down by their Jewish families, their Jewish friends, by shopkeepers, uh, tradespeople, and these brand new Jewish Christians were struggling. So the book of Hebrews is a rescue operation. This book is intense spiritual counseling for people who are facing enormous difficulty, persecution, rejection, relational brokenness, and on and on. That's why this whole chapter is about faith. That's why almost every paragraph in this chapter begins with the two words, by faith. It is faith that is the key. It is faith, if you will, that's the secret to living and thriving in adversity, in difficulty. So what I want to do is I want to look in these first six verses at four components of faith, and then we're going to spend some time in two case studies, Enoch first and then Abel. So what is faith? The first component that I see here is that faith is not natural. Now, this isn't explicit, it's implicit, because we don't just have one story, we have story after story of how to live by faith, because the writer understands that faith is not natural for us, it's not normal, insecurity, anxiety, and doubt are normal. Being a control freak is normal. Relying on yourself is normal. Uh, medicating yourself, losing uh, your life and your busyness and, and the stress and material possessions in the internet and social media and alcohol, all of that is normal. Faith is not normal. Now, let me take it a step further. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us because faith is not natural, it's not normal, it's actually not something you and I can conjure up on our own. It's a divine gift of grace that God gives us. So look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that, by the way, is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You see, faith operates a lot like humility. We can't conjure up humility and we can't conjure up faith in our own lives. Humility grows and faith grows to the extent we look away from ourselves to the wonder, the beauty, the glory, uh, the majesty uh, of God, what we see in nature, what we see on the cross. And we think about those things and they change us. Now I say this in terms of faith not being natural because I don't want you to tune out. I don't want you to check out 
because you are painfully aware how infrequently you went, uh, you live by faith. And what I want you to understand is these men and women, Hebrews chapter 11, they're not perfect. They didn't always exercise faith. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, they had significant lapses. I mean, Moses murdered. Abraham repeatedly lied. And on and on. I love you guys, and I don't want you to give up because you have bad faith days. We all do. I know you well enough to know that many of you are here thinking, you know, faith must be for somebody else because it just seems to be a constant struggle for me. And I want to say to you in love, your unbelief has been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. Do not let Satan neutralize you. Now, having said that, I want to say that unbelief is your greatest enemy. It's the shark under the fin of your worry, of your quick temper, of your bitterness, your impatience, uh, your envy, your unwillingness to take risks for the kingdom of God. So when you fail in your faith, and you and I will regularly, man, don't make a fatal mistake of running from Jesus. You know, I'm just not good enough. You know, I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to go through the motions, but I'm not really living a a life of faith. That's running away from Jesus. Don't do that. Instead, run to Jesus. He loves you so much that on the cross, he died for every second of your unbelief. And he longs to change you, to grow you. So first of all, faith is not natural. It's a divine gift. It's a lifelong struggle. The second thing I want you to see is that faith is confidence. God exists. We see this especially in verse 6. When we read it in the middle of verse 6, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Faith is confidence that God exists. Now, we spent some time on this and explore God, so I'm just going to move on. The third thing I want you to see, and I'll spend more time here, is that faith in these six verses is taking God at his word. Now, I have to explain that. We see this, for example, and it's not on the surface in verse 1, where we are told faith is confidence in what we hope for. So we ask ourselves the question, well, what is it that we hope for? Uh, What's the basis of our hope? And the answer is what God has spoken. What God spoke to Enoch and to Abel. What God has spoken to you and me in his word. All the promises of God's word. That's what we hope for. The promises of the Bible. (laughs) Specifically in verse 6, we have an illustration of this. Faith is um, believing, clinging to the promise that God rewards those who seek him. 
So what I want you to understand, and we're talking about faith is taking God as, at his word, is that faith isn't just merely believing God exists, man. Faith is staking your life on the Bible and the promises. I can't say this strongly enough. The type of faith that makes you spiritually great is absolute confidence in the authority of the Bible, the, the truth of the Bible, what we call the inerrancy of the Bible. What is inerrancy? Well, inerrancy is the belief that in the original manuscripts in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, they came to us, they were written without error. Now, let me illustrate this. <clears throat> Today, uh, people say, you Christians... Man, are you guys so narrow and uptight. Uh, you are racist, misogynist, homophobic bigots. And then we get on our heels. And, and how do we respond to that in light of this? Well, one of the ways we can respond verbally is by very humbly saying, you know, I... I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior. And I believe what he has said is the truth. I believe in the authority of his word. I believe in his truth just like you believe in the truth of your secular worldview. And I am basing my life on his authority as you're basing your life on another uh, authority. And all this to say, friends, you show me your love for the Bible, your plan to learn the Bible. I mean, you have a specific plan to learn the Bible, and I show you, I'll show you your faith. Faith is taking God at his word. It's developing an appetite, a love relationship with the Bible because uh, the Bible points us to Jesus, and our, and our greatest desire is to know Jesus. And that brings me to the fourth point, the fourth component of faith that we see here. And that is faith is desiring God. It's having a, a, a passion uh, to know God. We see this at the end of verse 6, where we read, God rewards those who, and here's the word, earnestly, passionately, full throttle, all in, seek him. So what is faith? Man, faith is earnestly, passionately seeking God. It's exactly what Jesus tells us in the great commandment, Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with a little of your heart. Or love the Lord your God when it's convenient. Or, you know, focus on Sundays. No, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All, all, all. Faith says, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which your soul can be satisfied. So says Jonathan Edwards. 
Faith isn't merely serving God or obeying God. It's enjoying God. It's experiencing these encounters of God's love from your heart. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens through his word as you read and learn from the word and God speaks to you and you go, my stars, I never saw that. I'm loved that much? It happens in your life groups and I hope you're in a life group, a Bible study, a small group. As you listen to other people and all of a sudden uh, somebody says something or you see something and it changes your life. It happens through family and friends who are believers. It happens as you look at nature and you think about nature. And by the way, I want you to know one of my things is I spend a lot of time thinking about how God is revealing himself to me in nature. It's why I love to go snow skiing, man. It's just all around me. You see, you are what you love. And Hebrews, as well as Jesus in Matthew 22, is saying nothing is more important than earnestly and passionately loving Jesus above all your other loves. Do you? Is Jesus the whole dresser or is Jesus one of the drawers you just pull, pull out when it's convenient? You see, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, isn't a dry, faith isn't a dry intellectual assent here in this chapter. Man, it's a passionate craving. And, and I so want you to see this because this is life-changing. Faith isn't a dry intellectual assent. It's a passionate craving for God from your heart. You earnestly seek him. Now let me take a couple of minutes in light of these four components and apply them. Over the years, quite honestly, I've had a number of wonderful experiences of the power and stability faith brings. One of those took place about this time of year, 25 years ago, when I was contemplating becoming the senior pastor of Wheaton Bible Church. Two years prior to my coming, this church had gone through a lot of turmoil, a lot of pain, a lot of division and controversy. About 800 people had left. And as a result of that, uh, people who knew the church and, and knew me were saying to me, Rob, there is no way you should consider Wheaton Bible Church. Man, uh, lately, it's got a great history, but lately it's really been tough on pastors. And they just may chew you up and spit you out because of the trouble uh, they've been through. But I, I came a couple times, visited like you do, and that kind of situation, and I was really impressed with the quality of the leaders. I was really impressed with the kindness of the, the people, you the people of, of Wheaton Bible Church. Now, this is 25 years ago, and I'm a punk and I'm conflicted. What am I going to do? These people are saying don't, and I, I'm seeing these things. I've got a couple people that are saying do. And the invitation came, and I said yes. And I did it without hesitation. 
because along the way I had stopped listening to negative voices and I zeroed in on listening to the voice of God and what he was saying, forgive me for this, in my gut. What was it that I desired? And I could lay out, I don't have time, a whole biblical theology uh, of listening to our desires and how that's exactly how often God, one of the ways God wants to lead us. And, and, and so I came, and it's, it's been great. And by the way, one of the things that um, I, I felt like God was saying to me, go ahead, Rob, because there's no place for this church to go but up. You know, faith is listening. You seeking and listening to the voice of God. But, but there's so much more to faith. Faith is the retiree who has been praying almost daily for 40 years that her son would return to the Lord. Uh, faith is the, the couple that is dating that refuses to sleep together. Faith is the high school student that's saying no to, to the press of drugs and alcohol. And he's doing everything he can to invite more and more of his friends to his Bible study. Faith is getting up early to pray and to read God's word. Faith is understanding that God has called me to this particular job, this particular neighborhood. And that my opportunities is to seek the good of other people around me, not just myself. Faith is loving difficult people. Faith is being a patient. Are you listening to God? Are you seeking God? Now let me illustrate this, and I may get lost in the weeds here, but I, this is good. Not getting lost in the weeds, but look at 1 Peter 3, 9. This is a verse I want you to memorize, and I'll explain why in a minute. What does the verse say? It says, do not repay evil for evil or insult for, with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to that you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I happen to think that this verse is one of the most practical verses on marriage and relationships in the New Testament. So say your spouse does something that disappoints you, or your spouse is really frustrated about something you have done, and there's anger and there's insult, and maybe even there's evil. And between the action of your spouse and your response, there's a gap. There's always a gap between action and your response. And what's natural in that gap, because we have been triggered by something that our spouse has done that bugs us, what's natural for us is to strike back. Uh, to return insult with insult. But faith gives us the power to overcome our feelings. And in those moments, 
When you've been hurt, when you've been disappointed, when you've been angered, it's your feelings that rise up inside of you and say, let them have it. And Peter says, no. Don't return evil with evil or insult for insult. And what Peter is saying is, he's not saying merely take the hit. What he's saying is, man, give a blessing instead. I, I am so sorry that you're mad at me like this. I, di- I didn't see this. I, I didn't realize I did this. And, and so you talk it through and you say, help me learn from this. Or you just, you just are silent. And you don't do this. Now, where does that power come from in marriage? It comes from the faith you have to take passages like 1 Peter 3, 9 as God's word. And you take that verse and you drive it into your heart and it makes a huge difference in your marriage. It makes a huge difference in your, rela- a huge difference in your relationships. And you know what? You'll become great in your marriage. You'll become great in your relationships because you're applying that verse regardless of how the other people around you respond. Men and women, what I'm trying to say is faith is not incidental to your marriage. Your life. Uh, You students, faith is central. So let me go on. And let's move now to Enoch, to this whole story of Enoch that takes up just a couple of verses in the Old Testament, just one verse here. So let's look at verse 5. We read, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, Enoch takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 5. And we learn there that Enoch was one of the early descendants of Adam and Eve. And Enoch was a man who had an extraordinary walk with God. We're told there he walked with God. And Enoch, along with the Old Testament prophet Elijah, were the only two people that didn't die, who God um, brought into his immediate presence. And this is way before Star Wars and Star Trek. And God teleported them. And they never tasted death. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, our verse, we learn that Enoch pleased God, which is a New Testament way of saying that he walked with God from Genesis chapter 5. And the question is, why is Enoch here? This Hebrews chapter 11 is a faith hall of fame. Why Enoch? Why this one verse about him? And the answer is because Enoch shows us faith is not merely belief, it's action. It's how you live your life. And it's crazy what we see here. Because when we're told Enoch walked with God, Enoch pleased God, what we're seeing is that Enoch followed the lead of God. He submitted to God He obeyed God. He accepted God's boundaries. Faith is never merely the action of your brain. It's the investment of your life. 
It's not something you think, it's something you live. If you believe it, you'll live it. We're told in Genesis chapter 5 that Enoch lived for 365 years. Can you imagine? I mean, I think I'm old now. And he faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully walked with God. I don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, did he drive the speed limit? Were his tweets always worship experiences? We don't know. But I can tell you based on this account that if faith doesn't reshape your life, reorder your desire, uh, desires, and establish a solid boundaries for you, you're not living by faith because faith isn't merely belief, it's action. Now let's back up to verse 4 and the story of Abel. We read in verse 4, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now, this is a little more complicated because the story of Cain and Abel is complicated. Where Enoch is in Genesis 5, uh, Cain and Abel are in Genesis 4, right after Genesis 3. The fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so what do we know? Well, we know that Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. And Abel worked animals and Cain worked the soil. So they came from the same family, they had the same parents, they probably dressed the same way, and they both brought offerings to God. But Abel's offering pleased God. And Cain's didn't. We know that because we're told here that Cain brought a better offering. And when Cain realized this, Cain got angry and he killed his brother Abel. Illustrating, by the way, how lethal jealousy can be and how horrible family relationships can can become. So the question is, why did Abel offer a better offering? I mean, well, the answer is because these two were alike on the outside, but man, they were totally different on the inside, and that's what I want you to see. According to the first two verses of verse 4, we are told that Abel offered his offering by faith. The implication is Cain didn't. Now in the Bible, as I've just said, faith is always a positive response to God's word. And there were two things God said in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve, the parents of these two guys, fell into sin. And the first is that God says in effect, I will clothe you, I will cover you in your nakedness. Don't try to do it yourself. You see, immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, we're told that they became conscious of their uh, lack of innocence, their guilt, their shame. And we know that because immediately they sought to clothe themselves, and so they uh, uh, sewed fig leaves together. But by the end of the same chapter, at the end of chapter 3, we read that God gave them animal garm, animal skins to wear. And so they went from the fig leaves to the animal skins. 
And the question is why? And well, one of the things I want you to understand is that is, happens to be one of the most beautiful pictures of grace in the book of Genesis. I mean, think about it. God is saying, in effect, even though you disobeyed me, even though you rejected me, even though you committed treason against me and did what I forbade, even though you, you did of all that, Man, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to clothe you. I, I, I'm going to cover you. I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to let you go. So later in Isaiah 61, Isaiah the prophet will say, God has clothed me in garments of salvation, in his robe of righteousness. And that goes all the way back to what's going on here when God clothes Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the point God is making is, Adam and Eve, you do not have the ability to cover yourselves. Your sin is so great. And in the same way, you and I do not have the ability to cover ourselves because our sin is so great. And God is too holy. So the second thing that God said is in Genesis 3.15. God says, I will send a descendant of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, that is Satan, but yet the Satan will strike his heel. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to send a descendant who will save, but before he saves, he will suffer a terrible price, and he will suffer. Now, because Abel's offering was by faith, and follow me, and faith is a positive response to God's word, Abel says yes to both. He says, yes, I accept God as my covering. And yes, I, I believe that God will send someone who will suffer uh, to in some way rescue me, just as this animal I have slaughtered has suffered. So what's going on is Abel is relying on God's mercy, but Cain is not. Cain came and said, here, God, here's my grain, here's my offering. Uh, look at how good it is. Look at my record. Look at how well I've performed. And God, you better be fair to me because of that. Abel is hoping in Jesus. Cain is hoping in himself. Are you Abel or are you Cain? Are you trusting in your performance? Are you offering your performance to God as uh, your offering, your covering? Are you depending upon Jesus who covers your shame by bleeding and dying in your place for your sin? And so I wonder this morning as I conclude, are you, are you Cain or are you Abel? Is it your performance or is it Jesus' performance? You know, as in the story of Cinderella, there is a day coming when the clock is going to strike midnight. And when that happens, everything's going to be exposed. All our offerings, all our uh, coverings, and our unrighteousness is going to be revealed before a holy, infinite, perfect God as filthy rags. Unless you have accepted God's covering by believing in Jesus who died that you might have life.
Are you keen? Are you able? And if you've never done so, I want to invite you to come to Jesus and take on his garments of righteousness, believe in him, trust him. And if you've already done that, I want to invite you to keep coming to Jesus. Because to the extent you exercise more and more faith in him, he will make you great as God counts greatness. Let's pray. So, Father, we are amazed at your love. We thank you for what you've done for us in your Son. We ask, God, as we walk through this series, that you will deepen and broaden and lengthen our faith. Speak to us that we might honor you. And we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.